0: Support for Where There's Smoke comes from listeners like you.
1: Listeners like you.
0: Comes from listeners like me and you. Thousands of listeners around the world.
1: Use Where There's Smoke to explore ideas,
0: navigate change, and receive virtual fist bumps. To join them, go to supportwts.com.
1: S-U-P-P-O-R-T-W-T-S dot com.
0: Where There's Smoke. Live a better life. Any time that you catch yourself saying, no, 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 not true, not true, not true. This week on Where There's Smoke.
2: You'll see diary entries where it's like, dear diary, today I went to this bookstore on Bleecker at 7 a.m. just cause like, that's the place to be.
1: The entrepreneur is never gonna succeed if he doesn't deceive himself to a certain extent in what's called the optimism bias.
2: Most of us do everything we can to avoid thinking about being wrong. Or at least to avoid thinking about the possibility that we ourselves are wrong.
3: From an existential perspective, we deceive ourselves to avoid the givens of life.
1: You have to be a little bit uh, ambitious, arrogant, egotistical to -hmm. believe you can do any of these things. From Brett Gaida and listeners like you,
4: it's Where There's Smoke. Exploration of the self told week by week. I'm Nick Jaworski. This is episode two of our two-part look at truth and lies. You probably heard episode one already, but if you haven't, stop, go back to last week's show, that episode informs this one. Last week we talked about lying, specifically to other people, and this week we're talking about a different kind of lying, lying to yourself. But before we go any further, I just want to clarify that yes, last week's episode, The Case Against Truth, and this week's They're both designed to sound a lot like the super popular mega podcast, Serial. So if you're confused about what's happening and you're wondering where are the funny clips and where are the little scenes and where's Brett, don't worry. We haven't changed the format of the show. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. As is often the case for Where There's Smoke, we like to play with format if we feel like the topic warrants it. And an exploration on the nature of truth told through the lens of Serial felt like a perfect fit. So last week we discussed lying to others for both good and bad reasons. This week though, we're going to go a bit deeper. It's one thing to lie to somebody else. You know, we usually know when we're doing it and fixing the lie, if you want, it's it's easy enough. You just tell the truth. However, there are some lies that we tell that are a bit harder to uncover and then correct. And those are the lies that we tell ourselves. Superman has been protecting the citizens of Metropolis for over 75 years. In 1978, Christopher Reeves would squeeze into the spandex and wear the cape for the first of four films. Now, we all know who Superman is, but in case you've been living under a rock, here he is explaining his entire character to Lois Lane in just a few sentences.
3: Why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here.
4: Yes, Hmm? I'm here to fight for truth and
3: justice in the American way. (laughs) Going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. I'm
4: sure, you don't really mean that, Lois. I don't
3: believe this,
4: Lois. Hmm. I never lie. All right, let's play that again, Lois. Hmm. I never lie. And that makes sense, right? Superman is perfect. He is a super man, the pinnacle of strength and virtue. Of course, he never lies. Except that his entire alter ego of Clark Kent is a lie. So not only does Superman lie, but he lies to Lois like a lot, like a lot, a lot. Now there's undoubtedly an element of a little white lie going on there. Although when it comes to hiding your identity as the most powerful man on the planet, I'm not sure we can call it a little white lie anymore. But on top of that, it's very possible that good old Kal-El isn't even aware of the lies he's telling Lois. Through necessity and habit, perhaps he's no longer able to see the deception he's perpetrating. That's an example of self-deception. So in order to get a better handle on a very difficult concept, I reached out to someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about self-deception.
0: My name is Dr. Courtney Warren. I am a clinical psychologist and a retired associate professor of psychology at the University of Nevada, Las
4: Vegas. That's Dr. Courtney Warren, and she's the author of the book, Lies We Tell Ourselves, The Psychology of Self-Deception. And this area is so important to our own happiness and feelings of accomplishment but we don't talk about it very often. I mean, we don't tell stories to our children about President Gerald Ford and how great he was because he never lied to himself. I asked Dr. Warren to talk about her work as a clinical psychologist and the role of self-deception in her patients' lives.
0: The number one reason they were stuck in life was that they could not admit reality or some version of reality. So self-deception at the most basic level is an inability to tolerate the truth. It is any number of techniques or ways that we use to try to tweak reality, try to tweak what we see in our perception of the external world to make ourselves feel better. And I see it as one of the, really the most profound ways that we get stuck in life. Because if we can't tolerate the truth, then we cannot change, period. That is a reality. And so until you can admit that something is true that you don't like about yourself, about your life, about your intimate relationships, you're not going to do anything differently. And you're going to stay exactly where you are.
4: So before we go any further, we need to know where we might see self-deception, outside of Superman, of course. Here's Dr. Warren speaking at a TEDx conference at UNLV
3: to ourselves about the smallest details, such as how much we really ate today, and why we didn't list our actual height and weight on our driver's license. (laughs) We lie to reflect our aspirational goals. I'll only have one glass of wine tonight, when I know that I'm drinking at least three. (laughs) We lie to uphold social ideals. I never have sexual thoughts about anyone except my spouse, because that wouldn't be acceptable. We lie about our most important life choices, such as why we married who we did or chose a given career path. Unfortunately, for all the romantics out there, love is rarely the full motivation for those choices.
4: Rachel Bloom is the star and co-creator of the CW show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She recently won the Golden Globe, and before that, she was the recipient of a coveted WTS dig from yours truly. She's smart, she's talented, she's successful but she's also a liar to herself. Here she is talking about her own experiences being a crazy ex-girlfriend while appearing on The Late Late Show with James Corden. Have you ever been such a figure in your life?
2: Well, yes, I have. And I think the, the worst when I was being like a crazy ex was when I was lying to myself, like, even in my diary. You'll see diary entries where it's like, Dear Diary, today I went to this bookstore on Bleecker at 7 a.m. just because, like, that's the place to be. Oh, and also, Rick happens to be there. He works at the bookstore, but, like, that's not why I'm there. Like, I couldn't even admit to myself, because I was like, Oh, it's going to be diary. crazy. Couldn't even admit to my own diary. And my diary has not spoken to me since, well,
4: then so. <laughs> so, self-deception happens a lot. And the problem is, it's really difficult to know when we're doing it. I mean, how can we tell when we're lying to ourselves? To help with that, Dr. Warren highlights a few behaviors that might indicate some deception is occurring. They include rationalization, projection, regression, and denial.
0: Denial is any time that you catch yourself saying, no, 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 not true, not true, not true, and the rest of the world is looking at you like a deer in headlights going, you're kidding, right? Like, <laughs> Yes, it is true. It is absolutely true. And the more you deny it, the more it's obvious to me that it's really true. Because anytime you catch yourself wanting to say, I am not like that, not, 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 ever, ever, ever. It's the time that you need to take a moment and pause and say, okay, how is this true about me? Because the fact that I'm having such a reaction means that there's something about this that I can't tolerate.
4: And of course, denial can work externally we can deliberately deny something. You steal someone's leftovers from the break room, a colleague accuses you of stealing them, you deny it, they point to some evidence of the crime in your trash can, you still deny it, then they point to the crumbs on your face, and then you tell them to get out of your office. Clearly, you're not deceiving yourself. You're lying and trying to get away with something that's different and that's bad. The denial that we're talking about is what happens inside of ourselves, without conscious thought, and that allows us to cope with ideas or feelings that we're uncomfortable with. Now, is it possible? Let me just play some devil's advocate. Is it possible sure. that someone really isn't that thing? Like you say, like, you're a racist or you're a bad person or whatever. And someone like really uh. responds like, oh, no, like, no, 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 no. Like, couldn't, couldn't you see some people saying like, well, you're just in denial. And it's like, no, really, I'm not <laughs> that thing. How do we know? This is what I would tell you. If you're
0: if you're not really that way, then you will not have a strong emotional reaction to someone accusing you of being mm, that way. Mm. So for example, if you say, if someone says you're being racist, and of course that's a very socially taboo topic, so none of us ever want to admit that we have racist thoughts, even right, though even we though. are all culturally <laughs> conditioned to have them, if you grew up in this culture. The more you say, no, 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 the more I see you as not being psychologically strong enough to admit that some of that is true. Because if you could tolerate the truth, you would say, wow, tell me more about that. Why do you think that came across as racist? gosh, maybe, maybe I did come across that way and there's something about me that has internalized this belief and I really need to work on that. Yeah. Now, if you take those two examples, it's the same situation, but the, the latter clearly demonstrates to me that you can tolerate the possibility. And if you come out of it saying, you know what, actually, I don't think that was a racist comment or that really wasn't a part of me that was coming out that moment, you'd be able to tell me that without having a strong emotional reaction. You'd just say, you know what, I just disagree. And that would be it. It wouldn't take anything from you emotionally. It wouldn't take any psychological strength away from you. And so that's my biggest answer. When people really can acknowledge a truth, the emotional reactivity is very, very low.
4: The fact is that many of us lie to ourselves a lot. And it doesn't have to be a huge deal, like suddenly you regret your entire life. Some of us will wear rally caps at baseball games because we know it makes a difference. Some of us assume that we're special and somehow different than everybody else, which, by the way, isn't true. Some of us will blame others for their behavior when deep down we know that it's our actions that are ultimately to blame. And some of us don't like to admit when we're wrong. When presented with a fact that contradicts our own understanding of the world or ourselves, some of us work very hard to distance ourselves from and then discredit that idea. Because so many of us equate being wrong with being bad or being a failure. And then if we believe those are true, then we're bad people who are not worthy of love or attention or forgiveness. Catherine Scholes, author of the book, Being Wrong Adventures in the Margin of Error, which is such a great title, Katherine Schulz talked about this in a TED Talk titled On Being Wrong.
2: Most of us do everything we can to avoid thinking about being wrong, or at least to avoid thinking about the possibility that we ourselves are wrong. You know, when we get it in the abstract. We all know everybody in this room makes mistakes, the human species in general is fallible, okay, fine. But when it comes down to me right now to all the beliefs I hold here in the present tense, suddenly all of this abstract appreciation of fallibility goes out the window. And I can't actually think of anything I'm wrong about. I think this is a problem. I think it's a problem for each of us as individuals in our personal and professional lives. And I think it's a problem for all of us collectively as a culture.
4: Our resistance to the possibility of being wrong is a defense mechanism, and I get it. Having faith in our understanding of the world is probably very natural, because questioning everything all the time would be mentally exhausting. So we build in some confidence into our experiences and our opinions as being true and accurate. But of course, we're all wrong sometimes, not just about who will win the game or what happened last Tuesday, but also about why we think or behave the way we do. Why do we act so strongly to certain behaviors? Why do we pick the partners that we do? And why do we stay away from uncomfortable truths? Now, I don't wanna get too dark here. Dr. Warren points out that sometimes there are good reasons for deceiving ourselves.
0: It can serve a very, very important function for, for all of us. If there is a truth that you're not ready to admit, your psyche is brilliant at trying to help you cope because the idea is that you want to survive. And so you'll see this in trauma. You'll see this in early childhood experiences. We repress things, meaning we push it down into our unconscious. We can't accept that it's true, so we almost conveniently forget. We don't forget because somewhere in there we know that it's true, but Mm -hmm. we couldn't tolerate it. So we conveniently or, you know, actually very skillfully learn to suppress it.
4: So sometimes we're just not ready to hear the truth, cope with it, and then make the necessary decisions to move forward. So we bury that truth deeper than ourselves until we're ready. And as long as that denial doesn't turn to avoidance, that's probably okay, it's fine. You'll deal with whatever it is when you're ready. Also, another benefit of self-deception is that it can help us to take risks that we want to take and are probably good for us, but might feel too risky or make us feel too uncomfortable
1: the entrepreneur is never going to succeed if he doesn't deceive himself to a certain extent in what's called the optimism bias, where you tend to think things are are going to go better than they really will.
4: That's Michael Shermer. He's the author of The Believing Brain, From Ghosts and Gods, To Politics and Conspiracies, How We Construct Beliefs and Reinforce Them as Truths, which is a very long title. This audio is from the TED Radio Hour
1: and we know from research on entrepreneurs they you know they have like a super optimism bias they they all exaggerate by like an order of magnitude how likely they are to be successful and in a way you sort of have to do that because most people that start businesses they fail but if everybody believed that then then there'd be no new businesses no one would bother
4: as it turns out some of the things that we want to do in our life require us to lie to ourselves i mean it can be about so many things. This business that I'm starting will be successful. Or despite the crowding podcasting space, this podcast will reach thousands of listeners and they will support us. You know, just hypothetically. Here's Scott Burkin, one of our guests from last week and the author of The Myths of Innovation.
1: paradox in there that you have to be a little bit uh, ambitious, arrogant, egotistical to mm-hmm. believe you can do any of these things. That's useful. It's <laughs> a kind of fuel to get you started. But once you're working, that belief that you can, that there's a magical way that this is going to happen just because of how brilliant you are quickly fades and you need something else. And that's where truth and understanding the reality and the true histories of these things becomes becomes critical to the odds, at least to your odds of being successful.
4: Okay. Now here's a mental exercise for you and for me. As you listen to this episode, what are you thinking? Do you think that any of this applies to you at all? Like, do you ever engage in self-deception? Or do you think that maybe self-deception is something that other people do and not you, not ever? So I don't personally know you, well, most of you, but if you're in the camp of,
0: no, 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 not true, not true, not true.
4: Then maybe, just maybe, you could consider the possibility that you're in denial And and I can't tell you why that might be true. Weather smoke is never about answers so much as it's about questions. So I'm not suggesting that everybody who engages in self-deception is living a lie. I'm just encouraging you to, as Plato said, know thyself. So there's one more area where self-deception comes into play for many people. And honestly, this is going to get a bit dark. Normally, I wouldn't even include this part, but it's something that I struggle with, and it seems dishonest to just leave out. Here's Courtney Warren introducing the concept during her TEDx talk.
3: From an existential perspective, we deceive ourselves to avoid the givens of life, the fundamental realities of being human that we must face. Death, we're all going to die. Ultimate aloneness, we were born as a single person housed in a solitary physical body. Meaninglessness, our lives are inherently meaningless unless we give them meaning. And freedom, we are responsible for ourselves because we have the freedom of choice.
4: I know it's probably cliche to worry about death and meaning and all of that, but I do. And I have since I was very young. I remember like crying about it when I was like six, which is crazy. And Dr. Warren called these the givens of life, which is a term from Viktor Frankl and Irvin Yalom. And I get that. These are fundamental truths that you cannot change. There's your capital T truth. And I should learn to accept them. But in my day-to-day life, I do like having control over the choices that I make and the path I take to get where I want to go. So to be told, well, take whatever path you want, it all ends at the same place, that's sort of unbearable, like still. So I asked Dr. Warren to help me make sense of this and maybe to help some of you make sense of these givens and understand how we can use them to move forward.
0: The problem with deception from an existential perspective is that we don't want those givens to be true, right? We don't want to acknowledge that we're going to die and everybody that we know is going to die. We don't want to acknowledge that we're 100% responsible for our thoughts, feelings, and behavior 100% of the time. (laughs) We we would like to blame someone else Mm -hmm. much easier. For sure. So the more we lie to ourselves about them existing, the more that we're going to act in ways that defer responsibility, right? And so, The more comfortable you can get with those givens, the more comfortable you can get with the fact that we're going to die, that you are responsible for who you are, the more meaning you will create for yourself in this life. Because the existentialists will really argue that the only meaning in life is what you make it. It's what you create for yourself. It's what matters to you. And the more you can come to terms with that, the better you will create this life for yourself according to whatever rules and values you have for yourself. So the best thing that you can do is to admit that the givens are true and then say, now what?
4: Okay, so let's take one step back. Let's get away from my stuff. And and as we finish up this look at truth and lies, let's talk about why it's important to tell the truth to yourself. Yes, sometimes self-deception is good. It can help you process and cope. It can also encourage you to start that business or make that difficult change. But sometimes when you consistently engage in self-deception, when you lie to yourself, you run the risk of regretting a lot. All of that time you spent avoiding your truths means you're spending considerable time living your lies. And that time is just gone. And I just had this image and tell me if this is entirely like like, you know, a movie or a TV show of watching people realize what they had done and just yes. being devastated and how yes. terrible that must be to see.
0: I am telling you whatever you picture and worse Is that reality? (laughs) Yes. Where you see, I mean, I could give you umpteen examples, everything from working with a prison population where they realize what they have done and they are now going to be in prison for the rest of their life to speaking with a parent about the fact that they have a horrendous relationship with their child because of the choices they made as a parent and that they can't take them back. And that kid may be incredibly messed up because of it to ruining, you know, relationships, marriages, uh, doing your own version of physical and emotional harm to yourself. It could even be a dream unrealized. You know, I was so passionate about this topic and I wasn't brave enough to pursue it for X, Y, and Z reason. And here I am 60 years old and what a waste. I didn't ever follow through that reality is so painful to tolerate. And it doesn't mean that you can't start today, right? I mean, this is the good news. You always have the present. You can always start today. But there are things that you have done in your past that you cannot change. And if they were really damaging or really problematic choices, you may or may not ever get over
4: it. And look, I mean, what, what do I know? I don't know if I can speak to any of this. And I, I, I probably can't. However, regardless of my own failings or your own failings, I think we know this is true. I think that we can all feel that your truth has value. So maybe there is a concrete takeaway this week. Acknowledging your own truths doesn't come without a cost. It will probably hurt, but that pain is just a symptom and it's temporary. That temporary pain pales when compared to a lifetime of regret and wondering What If
0: If I was going to leave people with a final thought, it would be that no amount of deception will change the truth. And so it is in all of our best interests to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. It is going to benefit you in the long run to get as honest with yourself as you can. It is in your best interest to get really down and dirty with yourself in this life. It will give you more power to live the life that you really want to live. And I think at the end of the day, that's as good as it's going to get.
4: Weather Smoke is produced by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. Original theme song by Des Kenny, The serial arrangement by me. Other music in this episode from Ketza, Mads, Kai Angle, Blue Dot Sessions, and Kevin McLeod. Thanks again to Scott Birkin, author of The Myths of Innovation. You can find him at www.scottburken.com. Very special thanks to Dr. Courtney Warren. Not only does she share with you a lot of her insights, but after writing and researching these episodes for a while, She definitely helped me make sense of some stuff in my life. So thanks, Dr. Warren. Her book is called Lies We Tell Ourselves, The Psychology of Self-Deception. And her wonderful TEDx talk is also called The Psychology of Self-Deception. Find her at her website, www.choosehonesty.com. She's on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Courtney Warren. That's Courtney, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y, Warren. Where there's Smoke is brought to you by listeners like you check out supportwts.com and consider supporting the show and becoming an explorer. Seriously, just go check out the site and consider just foregoing one nice cup of coffee a month and give us those $4, those $5 and you can really make a difference in helping us to say yes to the show. If you say yes, we'll say yes. That's the deal, right? So anyway, check out supportwts.com where there's smoke. Live a better life. We hope you enjoyed this special two-part edition of Where There's Smoke. We'll be back to our regular programming next week, and we'll see you then.